Restaurant Unstoppable episode 818 with Samuel Stanovich. And I encourage folks, yes, you want to have that dream of being independent. There's so many variables when you start putting your name on the paycheck and things that are going to be thrown at you, but you need such a foundation. That's why you need the education. And then you work for a well-developed organization that, that you really get to see it because they've made the mistakes, right? I mean, Marriott started with, with, with the A&W shops, right? I mean, they were an entrepreneurial family. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people 
and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. What is up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support, and there's a few ways you can do it. You can support our sponsors, you can use our affiliate links, and you can share this podcast with everybody and anybody you know who is aspiring to be great in the industry. And the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And the way we're going to do this is is if the most possible people know about this podcast. And thank you in advance for sharing it if you are doing that. Uh, So today, we are talking to Samuel Stanovich. So Samuel was a surprise interview for me. I kind of uh, just went into the Texas Restaurant Association marketplace with an open mind, knowing that I had a few interviews lined up and just being receptive to what other interviews came my way. And like straight out of the gates, I connected with Sam uh, Stanovich, who is the uh, host of the restaurant catering and delivery podcast that's being hosted over at Foodable. And that's kind of how we connected. We started just talking about podcasting. And then I started learning more about Samuel and his experience in the restaurant industry. Uh, he is a graduate of Johnson and Wales University. He's got over two decades of experience working in the restaurants, whether it's with uh, the the Marriott, which is where he got his start. Uh, then he kind of graduated out of the Marriott and started working in more of the franchise world where he is the regional um no, I think it's like the regional manager or overseer of firehouse subs in the Midwest. I think, uh, the Indiana and Illinois area. And, uh, he also owns a restaurant, uh, bocce in the Southwest. And he is going into business with Shaquille O'Neal's, uh, concept, the big chicken. And I know that I'm, I'm just beginning to scrape the surface, uh, for, with all the stuff that this guy has done, uh, just super well respected throughout the industry, uh, really knowledgeable when it comes to catering, we get into a little bit of that today and there's plans of Sam and I maybe even collaborating on some future content workshops centered around the world of catering. So, uh, awesome episode, really intelligent dude. You're about to find out why, uh, here it is. Samuel Stanovich with excitement. Allow me to introduce to you today's guest restaurateur, author, podcast host, strategist, coach, and people connector, Samuel Stanovich. Samuel, 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 are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling the passion to be unstoppable with the energy in the room here at the Texas Restaurant Association. I am ready. It is great energy, dude. Isn't it? Yeah, dude. It's, it's, it's. I don't know. I think it's just because everybody's just so excited to be back out doing what we're doing. What do you think it is? And I and I think one people are back out. They're zoomed, fatigued. Yeah, they're happy to see people in living color. Zoomed. <laughs> yeah, they're zoomed out and getting to pick up the pieces. They've survived, and now let's pivot and go forward. And let's help people make money together and build this great industry back. I love it, man. I do. And we start every episode off with a motivational, inspirational quote. I think that almost could have been the quote if you wanted it to. But I know you have something else locked and loaded. So let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling even faster with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Go big or go home. Go big or go home. Why did you choose that? I've been living that life uh, my entire career. 
Um, it, it's just if you if you're not shooting for those stars, right? And, and I think it paired in after I, I learned about Google and the moonshot. You got to go big, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing it, go home. Um. So, man, you have. I mean, the hour I gave myself to really dive into your story and to research you, a uh, really great background, super involved with community and organizations and associations. Where does it make sense to start sharing your story? You know, uh, my, my story is very different, right? If you were to put it onto a roadmap for the hospitality industry, I break all the rules. I can vouch because I've, I've heard a lot of stories and yours is unique. You got into this industry after uh, like at least 15 years of being a professional, right? Because it was 2008? Correct. So I, I came into the industry. I, I wanted in high school, I had uh, uh, talked to my guidance counselor. So I wanted to be an NBA superstar. Um, for people who don't know me, I'm six one and white. <laughs> I wanted to be a professional golfer, and I shot over 100, and I wanted to work in hotels and okay. restaurants. So you probably had the best shot at that last one. Huh? You know, I was going <laughs> to score. And uh, so so looked at all the hospitality programs that were available and got recruited to go to Johnson & Wales University. Loved the profession, loved the product. I'm, I'm half Serbian, half Greek. Hospitality is in our nature. Restaurants are in our nature. Uh, did, did my four years at the university, came out, worked for Marriott International, uh, thought Marriott was going to be my dream career. They were great. I give most of my credit to the foundation between my mother, father, and Marriott uh, for giving me the skill sets that I have and, and passion to do what I do. And left Marriott uh, because of my community, because of the network. I was volunteering. I was on a convention visitor bureau board. And uh, the folks said, Sam, you've got a lot of potential. You should spread your wings. And uh, took an opportunity to become CEO of the Heritage Corridor Convention Visitor Bureau, where I did destination tourism marketing for hotels and restaurants for 35 communities in four counties. Left that, went to the National Restaurant Association, spent another great decade of my life helping the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation, the National Restaurant Association. And uh, during my time there, um, had a dream to build a restaurant with my wife's uncle. Um, I mean, my shining support by far is my wife who has supported me 120% and gives me the opportunities to go big or go home every single day. And I couldn't do it without her. And so I want to recognize, you know, they say behind every great man is a great woman. Yeah. Well, my wife is, is that great woman in my life. And uh, we decided to, instead of going for a master's degree, I worked with her uncle and we built an independent restaurant in 2007, did the land procurement, architectural drawings, and launched Bocce Italian Bistro in Mesa, Arizona. Unfortunately, the market collapsed in 08, and we didn't move um, with, with the family because, one, we knew that the stress of two families having to be supported by a restaurant would be too hard. So I stayed back in Chicago and ran marketing and social media and administrative functions and supported my uncle as the restaurant grew. Okay. Um, so I was still working at the National Restaurant Association, which helped because the paychecks helped pay for rent and, uh, and the mortgage and just continued to grow that. And then uh, six years ago, there was an opportunity in the Chicago market to become the area developer and franchisee with Firehouse Subs, a terrific fast casual sandwich brand. Uh, emerging in Chicago, and uh, got to really see the most, best of both worlds, not only being an independent and the struggles and opportunities there, but to also be on the franchisee side with Firehouse. So for the past uh, six years, we've, we've run the training restaurant, 
and we built our restaurant in Stone Park, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. We oversee the market for Northern Illinois, Northwest Indiana. And, and what was great was my wife and I both have hospitality backgrounds and we got to take all of our skills and apply it and really become passionate. And one of the things that we super were passionate about was the catering business. And over the time, we cataloged how we developed our catering strategy, how we developed the business, how we instructed our franchisees in the community. And because we know that if you can build that catering sale and that portfolio, it helps your success in the restaurant because you have your normal traffic and your marketing skills for traffic. But when you can build a catering business, and I'm not talking the 2%, 3%, everybody who says they have a catering shop, I'm talking about real strategic catering business, you will receive real fruits of your labor. So we cataloged it, and uh, right before COVID, I was at a conference speaking on catering, and I ran into uh, my good friend TJ Shear, and TJ was like, hey, I'm thinking about writing this catering book. I go, TJ, I'm thinking about writing this catering book too. Kathleen Wood, my good friend, told me I need to put this in, in document it, and share it with the industry. And he's like, why don't we do it together because I've written books. I said, great, because I have no idea how to write a book. I'm just a, a hotel restaurant association guy. I'm not the grammatical genius, right? That's not my skill, but I, I want to learn, that. right? <laughs> yeah. So he wrote this book called Catering Domination, and it is now on Amazon and everywhere you can buy a, a great book. And it's really a toolkit for operators to build a catering business because what TJ and I wanted to do and what's, what's essential in the hospitality community is giving back. We've been so blessed and fortunate to build our businesses and have had success because people have helped us that we wanted to help people. Yes. Dude, I love what you just did for me. And I, th- I know the story keeps going, uh, but that 30,000 foot big picture thing, I, like, that was awesome. I might make all my guests do that going <laughs> forward because I think now we can kind of, we just did a flyby and now we're going to get in the helicopter and hover okay. over all this shit. That was awesome. Uh, do you want to talk about your podcast before we move on? Sure. Yeah. So go for it. So a year ago, uh, I was talking to Paul Barron. Uh, with Football Network and, and told Paul, he's a good friend and mentor to me. And I said, you know, TJ and I are writing this book. And Paul goes, you know, we've got this podcast on takeout, delivery, and catering. TJ happened to be a franchisee for Witch Witch. I'm like, oh, great. So two sandwich slingers are going to talk about takeout, delivery, and catering. He goes, well, you guys are the best at it. So yes. And he kind of gave us a script. And, and really, I have to credit Paul. I always wanted to do podcasts but really taught me how to do it, but also let TJ and I explore and coach us, which is, I mean, that's the best mentor in the world, right? Is somebody who lets you put your wings out but also, it's kind yeah. of show you how to fly. And what, he, what he's doing right now with Foodable, uh, that network, and basically just creating opportunity for podcasters, yep. it's a really smart business model. And I almost got involved myself, but I don't know. I like my autonomy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so for us, uh, we needed the structure. Yeah. We, we had no idea how to edit this. Yeah. And so he gives us an Emmy Award-winning editor yeah. to put it all together. And we've got 32 episodes on the network. And, and our episodes are different because Eric... TJ and I get on the episode, we, we pull the 50,000 foot level, we drill Just it like down. Just like you did for us. <laughs> yeah. And then we drill it down because what our audience, like you want to do is give back that content. Yep. So every episode on our podcast, you walk away with minimum six things you could do that day in your business to be more successful. 
Say the name of the podcast one more time. It is the Takeout Delivery and Catering Show. All right. Go subscribe right now if you're listening to this. Hit pause. Go subscribe. My feelings won't be hurt. We're all in this together. Go check it out. Um, so let's, let's get in that helicopter now and okay. start hovering over some of these details because I love... You just made my job so much easier by going <laughs> surface or high level like that. So you said that your big influencers early on, uh, you know, young in your career, were your mother, your father, and Marriott. What, what did your mom teach you? That's a, that's a loaded question. That is a loaded question, <laughs> and, and I, I'll have to be very careful. My, mo- my mother taught me the caring and compassion mm. and, and how to take care of the family and how to take care of people and, and, and that service. My father, and, and had a terrific work ethic, my father built his own CPA practice. I'm not a numbers guy. I could never do it. There was never going to be a... So you st- took after your mom. There was never going to be a Stanovich and Sons, <laughs> yeah. but... What, my, what the entrepreneurial spirit, my father was in the military, came out, got his education, and instantly opened his own shingle. And my whole life, I watched him build a business. And, and that is one man that I could never, ever, to this day, my father is 75 plus years old and still works seven days a week. Um, so there was no, oh, I'm tired, dad. He's like, this is the profession you chose. Get up pull your boots on, go That's to work. That's huge right there. That's huge. The mentality of, oh, I have to do this versus, oh, I got to, I chose to do this and I get to do this. That little switch in mentality and perspective is so huge. It's so important. Um, so your, your mom taught you about compassion and how to be a good person. Your dad taught you about how to, to be a good business owner. So give us some specifics right there. Maybe drill down. Give us six takeaways. Of- so so on, on being the business owner, right, you, you, you're choosing to spend your time in a business, right? Yeah. So find out what you're passionate about mm-hmm. because then you're not you, – you don't feel you need that day off. You don't need that vacation, right? You're, you're in every day what you're passionate to be about. And then remember, always remember the community. Mm-hmm. So growing up, my father was on several boards from Kiwanis Club to United Way to these different, and, and he would take me to these events. I always liked to cook. So they would host barbecues in the summer, and I would go, and I'd run the grill. But we were helping community-based organizations. And my father always said, the community is good to me. I'm going to be good to the community and volunteer my time and my, my knowledge and my resources to participate. So... Being part of that community was a strong suit in which he taught me. So when I became a professional, the first thing I did was volunteer. And, and, and because of my father being a legacy, groups embraced me and said, hey, your dad served here. We want you to serve now. You're the next generation. Yeah. So coming out of college, I sat on a mental health group. And mental health is so important, especially in the hospitality industry, but just in general. And it's, it's less taboo now than it ever was. But when I first came out of school over 20 years ago, mental health was still being sidelined, right? Yeah. People wouldn't talk about it. Well, I was an advocate to talk about it. I was an advocate to... And, and, and they brought me on the board because my skill set were in events and event operations. So I could give them my knowledge. And I was the only person in the hospitality industry. They were doctors, lawyers people much smarter than me so when people say don't be the smartest guy in the room i will never be the smartest guy in the room but they they took me and, and they taught me right i think and i can share that me. statement yeah <laughs> I, i'm just happy to be in the room i want to learn from everybody exactly. like what there's I, a reason why i took on the student per, the, the 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 student uh what's the name personality or per, persona yes <laughs> well i mean what i've learned from you today eric just talking about podcasting 
I, I've learned a, a whole bunch of new things that I'm going to walk away with. But that was part of part of my early foundation, and it was something that in my career I've always kept. So wherever I've been, I've participated in that local community, whether it's a chamber or a nonprofit or something, because I have different skill sets that I can help them give back to help their organization somehow. So I think that was very, very important. But it was something that... When I talk to kids, when I'm teaching classes or I'm mentoring or I'm doing stuff, I, I, I bring that realization because we are the hospitality community and we need to be the leaders in showcasing that because what's the great thing? We all have food. Yeah. And everybody likes to eat. Everybody likes to have a beverage. And when you can break bread with people, it breaks down barriers. Yeah, it brings us together. Yeah. I love it. But I think the big takeaways there is he taught you how to build a good business and the key elements of building one of the key elements of building a good business is being involved with your community and i say at the core of what business is is just relationship management a, a business is just a, 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 a an entity that is a relationship with other people and other entities you know it's just it's all about relationship management so you have to you have to put energy and time into building those relationships outside of the business 100 percent, 100 percent. and it's just part of it right yeah. that's part of the the, the, the mathematical equation to build your business, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it isn't self-serving yeah. because a lot of the stuff that we do, we don't, we don't ask for yeah. anything. Like me being, you know, serving six years on a, on a mental health board or I spent six years um, for, the, for the largest uh, homeless uh, prevention and servicing group outside of Chicago, right? I wasn't gaining anything out. I was contributing because this is going to help my community in the long run. Yeah. And that's what matters. And when you look at it holistically, it wasn't about selling more food. It was about helping the people that need it the most. Yeah. And reflecting back at your dad and the lessons he taught you, any other key takeaways, business lessons he taught you before moving on? You know, there's so I mean, yeah, I mean, you pick a couple? I know. I, I mean, how do you how do you pick up on it? And, I think we can we can move forward. And, I mean, and, we got a lot to unpack. And, 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 I, and I think the other the other one, just to, in closing, after I just digested that, <laughs> it, it is to be passionate about what you care about. Mm, I love that so much. It, it, why is that so important? Because if you don't have that passion, then you're going to get distracted, and then and then when things go south, because things always are good and things always go bad. When it goes bad, then it, then it makes you want to shift, right? Yeah. You need the passion to have the endurance. If I wasn't yes. passionate Great point. about the restaurant industry, I wouldn't have been able to live out of my car for like two years, traveling all over the place. Like this is the passion of learning and teaching people and knowing. You know, like you need that thing because it's a lot of the, a lot of success in any business. Also, is just being able to show up. And if you're passionate about the thing, it's that much easier to show up to, right? Oh, I, I love how you just put that with the endurance. Yeah. Because you're right. I mean, this isn't. This is not. This industry, especially restaurant industry, and especially right now with the struggles of staffing, it's an endurance business. This yeah. is not a sprint. Yep. This is a marathon. And God, what's longer than a marathon? Because <laughs> when this labor shortage is going to ever end, I don't know. So yeah, well, um, hopefully real soon. Uh, so the other nod you gave was the Marriott, as far as mm-hmm. the key mentor or influencer young in your life. So same thing. What was it about the Marriott? What did they teach you? You know, Marriott has such a culture um, and, and, it, and it's, it starts with the, with the top. I mean, you know, I worked for Marriott International um, and the family and, and the folks that are there and they've hired and the culture of training and service. And it wasn't just service to the guest. But it was service to the staff, to the employees, to the, the junior managers, right? So as you come in as a young manager or a young employee, 
you feel part of the family. Um, I call Marriott my largest fraternity because I still to today have many friends who are in Marriott. Because when you work in an environment like a hotel that's 24 by 7 by 365, unless you're in that business, you don't understand that business. Mm -hmm. And you bond and you create these relationships because you don't know, you know, on days when things turned to the point to the turn to the south and you, you may be in rooms operations, but the chef is calling because they're short guys plating for the thousand person banquet and you're on the line going... Okay, what am I doing next, yeah. right? Trauma is a, a binding agent, yes. <laughs> you know, and you're constantly going through shit in this industry. It's, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of the shit's constantly hitting the fan, right? And you're right. going through that with people. You're going to create bonds that last forever. And I can relate to that because I was a commercial pilot and I remember going through grad school. I don't know if you're familiar with what it's like being an early on, like when you're just starting your career as a commercial pilot, you go through ground school and it's like drinking water from a fire hose. They, they throw so much information at you in a week and a half and you have a test and you have all these practicums you gotta pass it all it's the most stressful thing you'll ever have to go through because you're worried about failing you're worried about messing up your whole career depends on this right you don't want a bad record so you're going through that with other people I am still to this day best friends with the the, that class of people I don't even fly anymore but I stay in touch with those Mm -hmm. those three or four people that were my close friends during that time going through ground school as a commercial pilot and I, I reinforce that statement so much Oh, I believe it. I mean, yeah. when, when when you're in situations like that, the the and you're in the trenches, yeah, and you're working together, it, it builds such a relationship that you will reflect five, ten, twenty five, fifty years from now, you will reflect on that experience and how you persevered and survived. And, and sometimes the outcome is great, and sometimes the outcome wasn't so yeah. good. But you reflect on that, right? And it's all about learning. Is as we talked prior to the cast. You and I are both students of the industry, mm. right? We're, we're here to learn and continue to learn and continue to grow and, yep. and share. And that's uh, going back to Marriott, when you look at that culture that they've built and, and it's still intact today. I mean, unfortunately, you know, with, with Arnie Sorensen's death, it, it was a shame, right? I mean, cancer's terrible mm. and, and don't wish that on anybody and and what a terrific outpouring of support from the industry but to show the culture of marriott pull together afterwards and do the the arnie challenge and just really support and rekindle that relationship i think that's i'm very fortunate and blessed to have been exposed and to participate within the marriott family uh, of products and brands and to really build my foundation because they were a great training ground yeah. Right. Learning those principles and basics was a great training ground for my career that I still reflect on today, thinking about as I'm processing new restaurants or I'm, uh, I'm teaching a class or I'm doing something. I look back at those fundamentals yeah. and apply them today. Yeah. So. I think getting, you know, I, I tend to lean towards the independent side of the industry. I love independence. I love mm-hmm. small intimacy. Uh, but there's something to be said about going to work for a Marriott or a major corporation or brand or franchise or whatever it is because the systems processes procedures the lessons that the like you it's you can learn so much about the right way to run a business going to work for those things and that stuff will stick with you throughout your whole career so if you're young go to work spend at least a year at an organization like this and pick up the the 
the lessons on standards and, and systems and processes. And that's kind of what I'm picking up from you, like the, the how-to yes. business, right? And, and I would agree 100% with that. You know, I, I teach adjunct faculty at College of DuPage, and I encourage folks, yes, you want to have that dream of being independent. There's so many variables when you start putting your name on the paycheck yeah. and things that are going to be thrown at you, but you need such a foundation. That's why you need the education. And then you work for a well-developed organization that, that you really get to see it because they've made the mistakes, yeah. right? I mean, Marriott started with, with, with the A&W shops, right? I mean, they were an entrepreneurial family. Wait, that's how they started? I didn't even know that. Yeah, Mr. Marriott Sr. Okay. Was a hot shop. He was Washington. a restaurateur or before yes. he was a hotelier. Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, see, we, we keep learning. sharing all yeah. day together. I love that. I bet and, most of my listeners didn't know that. And you take those foundational skills and now you've got a, a playbook to go to do what you want. Right, because most independent restaurateurs don't come out of the box being superstars. Right, yep. you got to learn. You stumble. You make mistakes. So, how do you prevent making as many of those mistakes? Because at the end of the day, when you're an entrepreneur, the mistakes that you make cost you money. Yeah, and that's the power of podcasting. Not to get distracted, but listening to the stories of other people and hearing their mistakes and recognizing these mistakes when they as they're starting to happen before they've happened, you know, like, so you can get ahead of it. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. Well, no, Maybe you, a little you, you, you know what? You, you got a hundred percent there, right? Yeah. The, the advent of technology yeah. to bring us closer. Um, people don't have to listen to the podcast in real time so they can listen to yeah. it when they're in the car, they mm-hmm. can pick up the nuggets, but you're right. I mean, good quality cast like your show brings together the, the realities of the business. Yeah. And where people can avoid making those mistakes, right? Yeah. And I'll say it once. I know I'll say it again. I'll say it every episode. Like, we are going to transform the world. Uh, This industry is going to transform the world because this industry is transforming. And this industry has so much freaking influence. You know, mm-hmm. like we influence people, we educate people, and we we transform young people. We give them their first opportunities. We're giving them the standards from like the the first job experience they have. You know, I think this I think this industry is going to change the world. You know, one in three Americans have their first career in the hospitality industry. Yeah, I, I, one I, in three. Yeah, second largest private employer in America is the is the hospitality industry versus the uh, medical field, right? Correct. Yeah, and then the largest employer is government. Yeah, that's what I used to say to myself when I started this podcast. I was like. How is it that the second largest industry in the world back in 2012 doesn't have a solid restaurant podcast? That's How is that possible? Because, because folks who are in the industry are so darn busy and in 2012 still weren't technologically savvy because yeah. podcasts were in the were, restaurant all day. <laughs> they're in the restaurant yeah. and the casts weren't readily available, right? Yeah. Access to good podcasts were a challenge yeah. where now you can get them on whatever platform you're on, whatever device you're on. Right, it, it, whether you're Apple or iPod or whatever it is, you can now get access yeah, to the stream. It's, it's exponential the mm-hmm. transformation that humanity is experiencing right now. It's really it's an inspiring time to be around, um, for sure. So back to your story. Sorry, we got distracted, but I loved every second of that. Um, so after um, the Marriott, uh, what's your focus? What's going through your mind? So so I get to, I'm leaving Marriott. Didn't ever think I'd leave Marriott. I'm going to go run a convention visitor bureau. Again, not sure what I'm going to do, but took the Richard Branson mentality of let's just go do it, right? Yeah. And, and learn and, and grow from there. Um, move from, from the Convention Visitor Bureau on a local level to a national level. They hired me to, to launch the Surf Safe Alcohol Program. I'm going to be the uh, responsible face of responsible alcohol service across the country. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, I, could have, I could have used you last night when I made some bad decisions that I like. 
Not too bad. Wait, wait, but this morning was rough. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the fun part, right? The, of the industry. And um, so I'm thinking about my career, what I want to do. Uh, my wife and I are, are starting to have our family. Um, we're going to open this restaurant. You know, all these different things go on. And, and, and life is not straight. Life is always the fork in the road. Are we going left? Are we going right? Are we going yep. left? Are we going right? And, and where's the pivot, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to turn around and make a U-turn and go back, and then you make the U-turn and keep going forward. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you always got to go forward. Yeah. Right. And and so we're thinking about that. We're doing the we're doing the independent uh, the independent restaurant. We're learning the foundation, the the fundamentals, the the cost structure, loans. I mean, we're building a restaurant in Arizona, and I get a bank in Tennessee to give me the money. Figure that one out. <laughs> right. um, we're building. We're so I'm uh, so I'm handling all the financial piece of it. We're we're getting that done. Oh eight, the crash hits. We're we're just holding on. Well, right? Let's go back to this um this this role you had at the coordinator for convention and visitors. Is that that was the, the last the Heritage Corridor Convention mm-hmm. Visitor Bureau? Yeah, because I mean you had to have picked up some lessons on how to promote and market your own businesses. Oh, that was that was fantastic. So I was actually on the team that opened the first indoor water park in the state of Illinois. Oh, that's awesome. So, so, wh- so, so I got to work with the Hotel Association and the State Tourism Association. And the water park was 90, almost two hours west of the city of Chicago. Okay. So we're so out. How do you get mi- people out there? Yeah, we're out in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Yeah, right. We're going to open the first indoor water park in the state of <laughs> Illinois, and and what was neat about the role was because I was handling these smaller communities. We did have good financials, right? So we had the ability to scale the purchasing. So what ended up happening was I got to spend time with marketing professionals. And back then, the internet was just coming of age, and we would measure, um, we would take out ads on radio stations, and then we would track the website usage <laughs> immediately after the ad. Or as it's going live. Right. <laughs> yeah. it, was fa- it was fascinating to watch the data. And, and what I really learned in, in, in all of it was creating the reaction. And I think nobody talks about it better than my friend John Taffer. On, on creating reactions in the restaurant business. How right? do you create reactions? So it's your it's your messaging, right? You have to figure out how are you going to inspire somebody and think about it via radio because that's a, that's a great uh, vehicle challenge, right? Because you got somebody in the car that they're listening to your your talk, right? Now, how am I going to get them to go do something when they could be in the car for five to forty minutes? Because back then. You didn't have the digitalization on a smartphone. Yep. So you, you literally had to wait. Some people had it, right? Some people were sad. But the majority of people would go home to their computer and then log on. So we would watch data from when it aired all the way through hours past because you'd see ramps of data. So what was the message for the, for the event or the meal or the dinner that we were promoting or the water park, for example? And create that reaction that got people to go look it up and then hopefully transition into reservations and activity. So you had different measurements, but it was very, very gray. So if you can learn to, because everything in our industry isn't black or white, right? 
We live in the gray. Yeah. We have to live for the gray. So I, th- I think the big lesson I'm taking is you just got to track the reaction. How Correct. do you create the reaction? Well, you first got to know if there was one. Right. And you know there was one by tracking the data. Yeah. Um, the key data you were following was just traffic to your website after. But like, I mean, now there's way more channels or way oh. more tools out there for you to track all that. And it's all automated. Uh, but what about like, what did you learn about actually invoking emotion or reaction? Well, you, 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 what we learned back then was moving it from, again, getting off the radio and getting more in, into the pictures. You know, this was before food porn became a thing. So we were shifting into more, at, because of my background being in the industry and being around associations, move more into the action of the food than to the people, right? So you would put in these great food photos that were inspiring people to become hungry. Okay. Right? Because now you're creating the reaction like, oh, I see that dish. I want to eat that dish. How do I get to that restaurant? Where now everybody is doing that. Yep. So now you're building both the reaction of the food along with what is the ambiance, right? Mm-hmm. So are there people like me eating in this restaurant and are they happy and excited? Yeah. And, and, and they're, they, they just don't look like staged models yeah. anymore, but they look like my community. Yeah. So my community is having a good time there. Well, why don't I want to go there? Right? Yep. That's the motivation. I, I do. What I love about what you just went through right there is you just, you're hitting the tiers of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it started with the most basic need. I need food. I want it now. There's an emotion there, right? You see food, you want it, you need to sustain yourself. And then people started realizing, well, if you really want to evoke emotion, it's about community and being loved and being seen and being a part of something. And then people said, well, if you really want to evoke emotion, it's about figuring out people's purpose in life, mm-hmm. right? And that's the peak of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is self-actualization and knowing your purpose. So if you can give people purpose, right, and give them something that they can ad- identify with, a cause to identify with, that evokes emotion. Um, and I th- you didn't say that last one, but you're heading there, you know? What are your thoughts on what I shared? I, I, you, you, you hit it spot on, right? Yeah. And it, w- it wasn't intentional. It was just... As we were building and going through it, thinking through, but uh, it, the way you've paired it, I'm going to have to take that and steal it and put that back in my class. Like, <laughs> there you go. ooh, I look super smart. Yeah, dude, there's a great book about that. Uh, Maslow's Hierarchy Needs Peak by Chip Connolly, the hotelier. Um, okay. Yeah, really great stuff. Um, okay, so we are still so far back in the timeline, but I'm, I'm getting some great stuff from you. So let's fast forward. This is You're talking about the time, 2004, 2006. Um, two years before opening your first restaurant, in that two years between 2006 and 2008, did anything happen that's worth hovering over? Or can we start talking about the vision of your first restaurant? Let's talk. Let's get into the vision of the first okay, restaurant. What was right. the vision? Why? Why all of a sudden now do you want to open your own restaurant? So, always been passionate about being an entrepreneur. Uh, in my family, as the first one, Just hold that thought because yep. this is a great place to take our break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. 
Now, I've told you what's new with Play IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Play IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Play IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also, with Play IQ bill pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to. No more duplications of efforts and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. We're back. And you just started getting into the, the you know, why you wanted to open your first restaurant in 2018. Go for it. So we're, I was working for Marriott. That's at 18. Sorry, 2008. 2008. And it was crossing over into the, to the association land. Had always dreamed with my wife's uncle. Um, my wife and I are high school sweethearts. We started dating when we were 16. So I knew her uncle most of my life. And they had recently moved to Arizona and were leasing a restaurant. And we would always have cocktails and say, you know what? We should collaborate. Right? We should build it. We should build a franchisable model on on this family Italian concept, right? Because we can crush the other family Italian concepts out there. And I said, Uncle Frank, this is a great idea. I love Arizona. My grandparents lived in Arizona. I don't like the cold in Chicago. They should move out of Chicago. This would be fantastic. And uh, so we kind of started sketching out, kind of like Southwest Airline. We had cocktail napkins and and then I took the business uh, acumen that I had and I built out an actual business plan and modeling and said what we could do and and he was a terrific operator he is a a a true immigrant chef who just has vision i mean he wakes up and will text me recipe ideas or take me i mean to this day will send me pictures of food and and just think food forward all the time yeah right i mean he's just he's i'm not that person i'm not that chef and that's why we could get along because we would never argue about recipes because yep. I just like to eat. Yep. Like, I like great food, right? <laughs> uh, he liked to create great food. And I'm like, this would be the, 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 the great partnership, right? Yeah. And, and let's do it together, right? So one of the things I love about your story kind of resonates a little bit with what I'm doing in my path is you, you got to go... I mean, your network is huge at this point. Being in the industry, uh, mm-hmm. being a part of these associations, serving these associations, these... these I know that... You were way the heck over here in Illinois, and you're opening the restaurant in Arizona, but your network must have been huge. You must have had mentors up the wazoo of people you could reach out to, to talk to. Your partner is, you know, in the like, I just feel like you spent so much time networking, connecting, and opening yourself up to others who could help you. I mean, how much did you have the giant neck? Did you get that support that you needed? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to this day, be, because I, I'm about the network and collaboration, that's why I kind of self-describe myself as the international people connector yeah. 
because I, I think it's all about helping each other, right? Yeah. With, with, with no financial consequence, right? I like you. You like me. How do we all win together and be successful? And if I've got some knowledge that's going to help you, God bless and go do it and, and, and conquer, right? Be the best you can be. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's just... It's just the way I am, right? That's how I'm wired. I don't, I don't, you know, there's those people who think, all right, I'm going to deal with you and now how do I make a dollar? Like, I don't care about that. I care about seeing my friends and family be successful. Yeah. So by having that, I mean, as my foundation, you know, I've helped people. And in turn, people are always willing. They're, they're so kind back. You've got to give before you get. And you 100%. can't track that. There's, no. We talk a lot about tracking things and how important it is to track things. That's one thing. You can't track. You just have to have faith that if you exist and you serve others, it's going to come back around and you won't even know when it happens because the universe acts. It's all connected. It acts the, in really weird ways. The, you know? the, the universe is a, a tremendous thing, right? And, and having good karma and, and doing those right things. Yeah, I mean, you, you, hit it, you hit it on the head, Eric. Yeah. So let's get granular and let's okay. go d- down a little bit more. When, reflecting back. At this your restaurant that you opened. This is uh, Bocce. Yes, uh, that you opened in uh, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona, right? Or Mas- Mesa, Arizona. Mesa. Arizona. Yep. Um, what were your biggest challenges? Like reflecting back, would you have done anything different as far as the opening of that restaurant? Did you make any mistakes? You know, we made lots of mistakes, right? Mistakes because understanding construction was a little more challenging. Like we understood operations. Yep. Right. We understood how to make the food, but then. You know, we we may have gotten taken advantage by local contra- contractors, right? What were some of the things? How did they take advantage? Uh, you know, just uh, not not knowing bid processing, right? How how to look through the details of those bids and, and things like that. What kind of details should you be looking for? You should, when you're dealing with general contractors, you want to get the stuff spelled out, including uh, these things called change fees. Yeah. Right, and you want to make sure that you include these change fees in your contracts, and you want to make sure you document it. Yeah, what the, is a change fee? The change fee is um, you have your construction documents, and they they place a bid. And for example, uh, just the granular level, you want to move an electrical outlet. Yeah, they then have their upcharge for moving that outlet. Um, good general contractors are going to build those changes into their pricing, so because they know what's going to happen, they know they're going to. So they just they just built they, a little cushion. So they're trying to get you to bite by showing you a lower price because they are there. There's no change fees included in the quote. Yep. And then you you start making those changes, and all of a sudden it's a hundred thousand more expensive. A hundred, hundred percent. So if you're an independent guy and you've never built a restaurant before, you, you need to understand that that construction. Yeah. The, the other thing you have to understand, and and we were fortunate because we bought the land, is your occupancy costs. Yeah. And and reflecting on now. The last number of years from 08 to now, any restaurant I restaurant tour I talk to, I, I I advocate that they take some real estate course or have some understanding because whether you you have the opportunity to buy the land and build it, or like the majority industry, you're yep. going to lease a spot. Yep, you got to understand your occupancy costs and your lease and don't overextend or yourself. Or go to a broker. You know, yeah. like there's people that specialize in this stuff. Hundred percent. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't pay for a broker, do you? Isn't no, that, that comes out of the sale. No, like, like it's a free service. And you want you want a broker that is a tenant broker, right? Because if you have the brokers that are on both sides, where they're a landlord broker and a tenant broker, you know that you don't know which side of the fence they're advocating on. Yeah. 
So you want the, the guys who are out there who are uh, exclusively tenant brokers in your camp uh, because then they're not steering you towards their their spots for some reason, right? Mm-hmm. So you find a tenant broker, they'll help you, but, uh, but you again... Want, you, want, you want to make sure they have your best interest, not their best interest. 100%. And you, some of the questions you want to find out as you interview uh, brokers is, so what happens in two years when I need to do CAM reconciliation? Do your services include that? What's CAM reconciliation? So CAM is for the common area maintenance charges okay. um, for your facility, which all restaurant tours are going to get hit on. Yeah. And there's variables in there. Because if you're in Chicago, you're not going to pay for the CAM for snow plowing. Um, but if you get a heavy winter, like up in New Hampshire, yeah. it may cost more that yeah. season. So you're going to get paid. You're going to have to pay the outstanding charges. But... Landlords also like to add in other things in there. Yeah. So you you need to have somebody that you, again as you develop your relationship, and that broker is going to make a, a hefty commu- commission on signing the deal. Are they a, are they a broker that is going to stay with you for the life of that lease? Right. Got it. And what services will they provide? Will they do a reconciliation? Will they advise you when the landlord comes back and th- tries to throw something crazy at you? Which they will. Yeah. Right. And and so that's a that's a big learning. So the first as your first timer looking at it, really understand the real estate because you're going to get the food, you're going to get the service, right? You're going to get eighty five percent of it, but that fifteen percent wrapped into real estate and those occupancy costs, that's the fifteen percent that kills people. Yeah, Dude, right? I'm, I'm loving this. So you said there's a. We, thank you for getting super granular. granular on those details, you said you made a bunch of mistakes. Any other glaring ones that that stand out reflecting back at this restaurant? Uh, I don't know if it's a, it's a mistake. I mean, our, our strategy was to go into an area that was underdeveloped. So at, at the time where we are in the southeast corner of Mesa, the world was growing to it. Yeah. It wasn't developed. So we literally bought in the farmland is where our center was built on. And there was nobody like the housing tracks hadn't got there, so we were we were basically playing the speculation game of if we build it, they will come. Yeah. And what happened in '08 was the the huge market crash. So what happened from '08 for four years was they stopped building homes. Yeah, right. That's rough. <laughs> so now yeah. you build a brand new restaurant. You got this brand new box. You, you speculated because the whole world was coming. Because in '06 and '07. I would go out and visit Uncle Frank, and, and we'd be looking at homes. I'm thinking about moving. Every housing track I went to in 06 and 07, they'd have a lottery system on Saturday mornings. You'd stand there, and you bought your house for full retail plus the add-ons <laughs> that they sold you in the trailer without even seeing the model. All the signs point to, like, things are good. Yeah, things yeah. were great. Yeah. 06, 07, the housing world. Maybe a little too good, which is why we got into Why like, we got into a crash. Yeah. Well, and again, <laughs> if we think back and, and reflect... The fact that a bank in Tennessee gave a guy from Chicago and a guy in Arizona money to build the box. Shit, I could have gotten a loan for a house back then. <laughs> we couldn't have loan for anything, right? So uh, so you think about that. So I did get loans for everything. About $200,000 worth of school loan debt. Oh, so, there yeah, you go. Yeah. I did experience yeah. that. So, so, I graduated so, around 2007. So oh, I'm okay. a byproduct yes, of you are. an overextending economy. Sorry. Yeah. Sensitive, hey. sensitive topic. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't bring that up today. <laughs> but but you have this, right? And And... You, you've got uh, 07, 08, we speculate on the land, the crash occurs, and then it's like, okay, well, how long is it before people are going to move out here, right? Well, not, I mean, not, now, fortunately, we're surrounded, 
right? They're, they're, they, they built the largest housing track in the state less than two miles from us. Like, we speculated right, right? Mm-hmm. But the question was from 08 to 2021 was, did we even think we were going to survive this long? Right. right. That was the bigger question. But I think there's a lesson there in uh, location selection. I've noticed uh, there's definitely a trend with just trying to figure out where where is the growth in certain economies. If you look at a community and there's construction happening, if it's right on the edge, the fringe of like whatever, I don't know, it's, it's always like, like those fringe locations on like the edge of growth that if you can time it right and get in like a a year or two before Mm -hmm. it's gotten to that point, usually wherever there's young hipster type people, that area is going to like, that's usually a good thing to look for. I've noticed like those, those types of communities where there's a, that younger hipster type community that that's where they can afford to live because it's just far enough out of the city that it's not super stupid expensive, but with a couple of roommates, a few young people can like manage those communities, those markets, if you can get into those markets, they almost always grow and expand. Well, that's because at that point in time, they've got expendable income. Yeah. Right? They, they, they've, they've come out of college. They're, they're going into an emerging area. To your yeah. point, they, they're not paying top dollar for rent, yep. which means they've got food and beverage money. Yeah. And plus, usually things grow from the inside out. So that fringe, that edge where all these hipsters are roommates and moving in together and that those, those communities, those, those markets are not always going to be where people can afford to live. Eventually, you know, it's going to grow out and then that even more bigger money is going to move in. Those people will be pushed out even further. Well, and especially as, as you're an independent, the, the real estate strategy on an independent side versus a franchise side, it's totally different. Like yeah. the mindset, you as an independent, because of what you're doing, you can take more of that gamble, right? Because yeah. you're going to create that destination. And honestly, as an independent... Because you don't have that, as much as it'd be great to be on the corner of Maine and Maine, you, yeah. you can't afford it, right? Yeah. You're putting every nickel you have yep. into the into this box. Not saying that it's any different than on a franchise side, right? But a franchisor is going to give you different recommendations because it's different traffic, um, different patterns, and you can use those franchisors. But a lot of times, franchisors will set limitations on where you can go, whereas an independent you could take that B location, you could take that second gen space and reduce your, your CapEx costs because you could take a, a, a space that was closed and morph that into your concept a little bit easier. So not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying as my experience of being in independent and being in franchises, there's good and bad on both. And yeah. if your audience are more independent, they can take a little bit more risk. Yeah. I definitely like... The fact that when we did the restaurant in Arizona, we bought the land. Like, that was very important. Why is that key? That was very important to me because if you look at some of the great models out there, like McDonald's or Applebee's or those guys, they're not in the food and beverage industry. They're in the real estate industry. They're in the real estate (laughs) business. And we wanted to have an asset long term because we thought, God forbid, we failed, at least we'd have this piece of dirt. Yeah. That we could resell and at yep. least recoup some of our costs out yep. of, right? Or if, if, and if you were right, and if that is a property or an area that's going to appreciate in value, you might have made it. it, it maybe you're just oh. done. You know, you just made money. Right? Oh, there's there's no doubt about yeah. it. And that's that was the whole strategy behind doing it and taking the risk. Yeah, um, it was never that we were scared that the the, the food the, again. My uncle is is a tremendous restaurateur. So the food wasn't the issue. The issue was the can economy we, location. Could we though. just afford to to maintain 
the note, but because we were in speculative mode, yeah. it wasn't like we had some, you know, even with taxes and, and stuff, we still weren't even over 10000 a month. So we were still very disciplined yeah. to, here's the performer, here's what we think. If sales slide, we didn't know that the, the, the bottom was going to fall out. But could we still afford it if we just pulled our resources together and we could hobble through it? Yeah. And that, and that's key. Whereas I think some some restaurant tours, some of the cons, uh, uh, consulting clients I've had, sometimes run into trouble because overextend. They overextend. They get the champagne rose uh, champagne glasses on. Right, everything is rosy. Yes, I can make that ten thousand dollar a month nut. No, you don't ever want to put yourself in that position. Yeah. Right. I always say let two things determine your growth: cash flow and people. Like you need the cash flow there. You know, you have to assume that it's not going to be there and that you can cover it if something happens. 100%. Right? Uh, and then people. That's the other thing. Like, do you have the people to run that business? Or You should grow those people. You should only grow after you have the people and the cash flow in place. Well, and, and, and again, you go back to, to foundational experience at Marriott, right? Yeah. Marriott's all about people, right? The, the, whole, the whole strategy of Marriott leadership is Marriott leaders take care of the employees, the employees take care of the guests, the guests take care of the company. It's the, entire, it's the enlightened uh, hospitality model. Right? It, it, yeah. it, it's, the, it's the whole deal, right? Yeah. And, and you know, you go back to Marriott, can you do everything in the hotel yourself? No. Same thing with the restaurant. Can you cook, serve, and dishwash all at the same time? Nope. No. So you need a team, yeah. right? And you need to empower your team, and, and you need to look at that. Yeah. So one thing that's unique about you is that I don't get to talk to people who open restaurants 2,000 miles away from, you know, live, they live 2,000 miles away, whatever it is, 1,000 miles away right. from where the, the restaurant right. is located. So what were some, what are some of the lessons you learned about how to manage and run a business that far away? Uh, that I love my uncle, and, <laughs> and, and he was fantastic because at the time we were supposed to move and didn't move for family reasons, and, and it was all about the family, yeah. or as we could talk about, all about the people. Yeah. Right. Was there animosity that like you committed to this restaurant and that you're not coming out there to help them run it? Uh, if this would have been my blood uncle and not my wife's blood uncle, yeah, there could the story could be very <laughs> different right now, Eric. We may not have met each other. Yeah. So how did um, we handle it? We we well because I married into the family, yeah. and her uncle married into the family. Technically, him and I were both outsiders. Yeah. So we weren't the common blood. Yeah. So we were both outsiders and understood the position of the family that we moved into because yeah. it's very dynamic. Um, so we understood that. Yeah. And, and him and I are actually best friends. Okay. Um, so we, we, I just explained to him the situation and said, this house got to work. And he agreed. And, and we, what we did, and, and, and the other thing that I've always done with, with my businesses is we just create roles and responsibilities. Yeah. So you look at the E-Myth, right? That book, the E-Myth. And they say in this, in this book, they say you got to create like an organizational chart, even if it's you and one other person. And if it is just you, still create the organizational chart where it's every title, everything that needs to get done in the business. What were you responsible for? What was he responsible for? I, How I, did you guys split that up? So it was, it, well, it would have been almost the same tasks, except I wasn't picking up shifts. Yeah. But it was the same tasks. What kind of what, what things were you taking off his plate to make his life easier? marketing administration um, financials? Um, I was taking off the paperwork, right? The the administrative functions that that were were never his strength. I was dealing uh, because of the associations. I was leveraging my relationships with the Arizona Restaurant Association, leveraging my relationships of how how to get the the branding done, um, how to tell the story because yeah. we were this this unique you know people would always always 
chuckle. Like the website and the Facebook and the Instagram, it all looks and sounds like your uncle. You know, why didn't you develop some bigger, broader, polished story? I go, because that's not who we are. We're a family business. Uncle Frank is the personality. Yeah. If I gave you some polished stone and then you go to the restaurant, it doesn't. It doesn't create that reaction. Yeah. But if the website looks and sounds like Uncle Frank, yeah. and you go see Uncle Frank, yeah. you're like, this is this is the restaurant. Yeah, it's, it's on par. It's right yeah. there. Um, what about, like, how are you managing it? Like, what, what systems were you leveraging, or what, what systems did you create to be able to stay plugged in while being so remote? Like, how did you, what, what kind of... Well, yeah, t- I, mean, I mean, you know, in 07, you had plenty of internet, so you could get data out of POS. Yeah. We, bought, we bought strong. Again, because of my roles prior... I was able to bring all these partners. So as we look to select things and we look for operational systems, point of sales. Yeah. We didn't really talk about this before, but you, I mean, there was a role you had at the NRA as industry relationship manager. Yeah. So like, I mean, you definitely bring value to the, the restaurant. You, your network is a lot of value. So you could pull on people. Yes. You had issues. You, you, you knew the person to call. Correct. Right. Yeah. I, I knew the phone. I knew the phone call to to pick up the phone. And, you know, if we if we were at if we were having problem with our chemical company, I knew exact. I, I because I had the Rolodex. Yeah. I could call more than the local territory manager and get a response. Yep. Right. And at, at that time, you know, hey, this is my family business. I need your help. People were 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 more than willing to to share and help solve problems. Yeah. So that made it well. And your role with the Texas or in the Texas the National Restaurant Association yep. was basically with. Uh, Relation like developing relationships with was it vendors or was it sponsors or so? So one of my roles was uh, director of product partnerships and industry relations. Okay, it was a a role created directly for me to, as I like to tell people, I if if you think of the National Restaurant Association as an aircraft carrier, yeah, I was the little tugboat out in front. Okay, looking for because I had a background coming out of Marriott, Johnson and Wales working in a trade association, working with independent operators, thinking what my restaurant had on, right? What are services and supplies and things that we need in partnerships? You're like a spotter. Yeah. yeah. And so I would go out and knock on doors and, and say, hey, we're with the association. We need to have uh, X, Y, and Z, right? And I would be the hunter, Okay. right? So I would go out, knock on the doors, evaluate, bring back to the mothership, bring back to the carrier, let people evaluate, look at it. Are these the right partners, not the right partners? And then just keep bringing back and forth, right? Back and forth. And then as we brought folks in, exposing them to all the great things that the association does from its military foundation presence to pro start to the advocacy, right? And, and look at their business um, for from strategy, yeah. right? So what are you looking to accomplish? Who are you looking to get to? How right? does that serve you in, in opening this restaurant? Well, because I because of all these different relationships that I had with all these different vendors and suppliers, as I looked at doing my bar program, I could talk to the right distributors, right? And, and because I had the relationship, I could cut through a lot of the gray matter because all I did was I evaluated this thing for the association, right? So in my own, I was evaluating for this business. And, and that's where the network comes in, right? When you build those relationships and you use your community, your community gives back to you. Yeah. So it, it, it not only applies to independent, it applies, it, I mean, it applies to this, the, the, our conversation here today is because of our network. I knew we've met once before 
We have a common friend in Anna Towson, mm-hmm. right? Common friend in uh, uh, Paul Barron. Common friend in Paul Barron. Yeah. I- I've listened to your podcast for years Thank now. You. And, and I've so, got to start listening to yours. I'm ha- I'm happy it's on my radar now. Yeah, so, I'll be I'll be honest, man. I do not listen to any restaurant industry podcasts. I don't know why. I, really? I I listen to other industry podcasts, and I think the reason why is because I one because when I started listening to podcasts, there were no other restaurant industry podcasts. So I just developed, developed the habit of listening to other industries who were, in my opinion, they were always ahead of the restaurant industry. So I was like, if right. I want to learn, if I want to like be like cutting edge right i can't listen to restaurant industry podcasts because all these guys all these marketers out here are leading edge so i want to see what they're talking about and bring right it back to the restaurant industry but there's been so many more podcasts now i think i need to break that habit i really do yeah i mean there's a there, you know the evolution of podcasts right yeah. i mean it's it, there's so much that great content now being created and being refined yeah but even not the great content, like the guy who's starting his restaurant podcast in his basement, like that was me, you know, <laughs> a couple of years ago, like because we just want to convey our message and our experience yeah. and, and really just dial in because hopefully somebody can take one of these nuggets away and say, okay, today I'm building a restaurant. Did I really think about the broker I'm using? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I ask? Did I ask a question? Right. There's just there's so many things to do to get a restaurant open today that nobody's got the perfect list, right? If, yeah. if they did... And your list might not work for somebody else. That's yeah. the other thing, too. There's so many different variations. It's all about what's best for you. Uh, so the other thing, like, I really want to make sure we talk about that because there's this transition from independent to uh, franchise. So you, you're, you're running the, the Bocce, which is still open to this day in yep. Mesa, Arizona. Yep. 2008. Um, seven years later, 2015, you decided to, to get involved the firehouse subs franchise yeah this time that brand is exploding and mm-hmm. it's like it is a hot brand what was it about this brand like why did you what what was going through your mind so so i felt loyal to to my uncle in the restaurant and said yep. well, if we had an independent i'd just go to to, to there and do it yes we're, we're committed to having stay in chicago market mm-hmm. and i was at the age of saying if i'm really going to go be an entrepreneur and again, as I stated before, I'm not the, the culinary wizard, right? Yeah. So to do an independent doesn't make sense if yeah. I don't have a chef and I don't want to go find a chef, yeah, right? So I knew the folks at Firehouse Subs. I knew the culture at the company. I knew that they had great food, right? Great people. Again, all the things we talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Great food, great people, great culture, um, great meaning, great community, right? With Firehouse Subs and the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation. And my wife and I, were, were at the point where if we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. Mm-hmm. And we said, all right, well, we have the opportunity to, to apply my strategy, uh, passion, right? And, and the area representative role became available. Um, it is not a corporate position. It's a services agreement provided to Firehouse Subs of America. And in that, you, we have a second um, portion, which is to own and operate a franchise and the training store for the local market. So just like every other franchisee, we're in it every day. Yeah. So my wife and I went headfirst into it and and built it out. And that's where we, you know, she comes out of the hospitality industry as well. And we just applied our knowledge to, we always said, well, we can take the wheel and just make the wheel spin faster. We're not the folks who figured out what spokes or mags to yeah. put within the wheel. You're right? given the system. Now you're just, you're running the system. Exactly. 
Um, so and you got a playbook, right? And you've got again foundation. Well, we both came out of Marriott as well, so we're very good with foundations. Give us the foundation, and let's go build it. Yeah. So we said you could deploy your strategy. What, what was your strategy? The strategy was to to build the best community restaurant. As, as I tell or, or, or used to tell folks before I transitioned out of Firehouse, was if you're going to be a franchisee and you're going to be in the Firehouse Subs brand because we're we're the the brand is a group of franchise family ownership. We're going to return the community back to the restaurant industry because so many franchisees got so big, the systems got so big, right? You don't know who the manager is. You don't know who the owner is, right? Yeah, I mean, I think what is it? It's not Moore's Law. That's the one of the exponential growth. But whatever that number, 150, uh, well, every person can only manage about 150 relationships, right? And it has something to do with the size of your frontal lobe and like the the total like space in your brain or something like that. That ratio. If you look at all primates, like that ratio is like for for example, like chimpanzees can like deal with 50 relationships, and that's why if you look at chimpanzee groups. They only run in the groups of 50 or less because they they literally cannot handle managing that many relationships. And when you go above that, there's a lot of tension for like position and hierarchy and stuff like that. Same thing's true for humans, 150. Okay. So I think that number has a huge role on the the culture of a business. So if you start if you're an organization and you start going above 150, you got to start thinking about fragmenting. Mm-hmm. Because you can only handle so, and I think it's the the number is probably closer to like seventy five, really. Because you got to think about all the other relationships you have in your life, sure. And then whatever is left over is like your business relationship. So if you can't, I don't know. I think there might be something there as far as culture and intimacy in managing that number and like how many people am I responsible for? Right. Because as soon as you start adding more and more people into that relationship, you got to start recreating yourself and others so they can absorb some of that responsibility in managing the relationships. Right. Is, is that kind of what you're saying as far as what was happening with franchising and growing too fast? Well, no, I, th- I think with, with, with franchising, you know, big franchise models are about scaling, yeah. right? So they want you to get two, five, 50, a hundred, right? Yeah. Well, if, if you're, if you're in a super franchise model, yeah. Right. And they, and, and the franchisor or the franchisees got, 200 locations. Yeah. Right? That wasn't that's not the firehouse subs model. Yeah. Our our model is about community, right? Yep. And 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 owning and operating your restaurant or or grouping of restaurants called 2345 restaurants, yeah. right? So as I'm advocating with people coming in and even our in our own business, how do we take our franchise brand and think about the number of franchise brands that you consume at and turning that into a community restaurant? Like I, I, I have this brand, this awesome brand that makes this terrific sandwich with this terrific foundation that gives back to uh, police, firemen, first responders, military, right? How do I tell that entire story collectively? But more importantly, invite the community in and use my restaurant because think about your favorite restaurant, okay? I'm going to ask you a question, Eric. Your favorite restaurant. That, that you go to, your go-to, why do you go there? Relationships. And? For me, I mean, as, as long as I, I'm not a picky eater, man. The food's got to be decent, but at the end of the day, I want to 
know somebody. I mean, I want to sit down and know somebody. Exactly. Yeah. So if you can take that and apply that a to you, for your management team to understand that if you're scaling, but for you to embrace and embody that, because why do people love or or when you talk about restaurants, you talk about Greek owned restaurants, right? And everybody knows the Greek guy that owns the corner restaurant and they love him and they're the go-to, right? There may not be always the special occasion, but they're the go-to. Yeah. And they know about his family. They know the car he drives. They know the house he has. And they know that he washed dishes for 20 years to build his empire. Yeah. And they respect that. Yeah. And when he walks in the door, he's got the pots of coffee and he's walking around the restaurant and he's glad, Eric, you are here today, right? Yeah. Right. The reason all those reasons you just listed as to that persona, that avatar that you just painted, that, that you created, is why I tend to lean towards independent operators because I love the soul of that. Right. Uh, so is it more difficult to be a community restaurant and to describe what you what you just described to us, like to execute what you described to us that that level of intimacy as a franchise? No. Why not? Because it's because what do we we what did we talk about earlier? It's about people. Yeah. Right. So, so do people need to know the owner? Yes. But do people need to know the GM even more? So you, de- you develop GMs who are willing to tell the story of Recreate why they're yourself there. and others. Correct. Or, yeah. or let their personalities and, and their mantra yeah. be the representation. So if you hire the right people and you mentor the right people and you share with the right people, right, then your managers embody that philosophy. Yeah. So when the customers are coming in, they know the manager. So what's the issue? So I think we're, we're, we're coming full circle now. And the issue is when you, when you create a concept mm-hmm. that is designed for scale to grow, mm-hmm. you don't let time for those relationships to develop. Because the focus isn't on the relationship. The focus is on how many people can we get in here, how fast. Correct. And what Firehouse Subs was doing differently was just saying, no, that's not us. We're going to be super selective about who we let become a franchisee, mm-hmm. and we're going to do a slow, steady burn for growth. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to grow because we're going to bring in great people who embody the vision of the brand. Same core values, same vision, who are like us, who mm-hmm. get what we're doing and can carry their, their culture carriers. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's the great part. I mean, if you go into any firehouse location, whether they're a one-unit, five-unit, ten-unit, up to I think we now have one gentleman that's got thirty some units within the system. Yeah. Those are the the values of the brand in that mission statement hold true everywhere. So you what go. are the values of the brand? You know, it, it, it is to serve great food and to serve the community, mm-hmm. right? And and they do it through a way because the food equation is taken out. Yeah, right. Because they are providing. The, the roadmap they're providing the food. Yeah. Right? All of our food is done systematically, yep. right? We, it comes through distribution. You're not thinking about what bread you're going to buy, what meat. That's what we have a whole team. That's what they have a whole team down in Jacksonville yep. that does, right? Your job is to embrace and embody the philosophy of of the commitment to community and caring to and carry compassion. the culture to tra- to be That's a transfer it. of culture. You 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 are you are a servant of the community and the brand, right? So you service the community, you service yourself, and you service the brand values. Okay, awesome. Anything that we haven't touched on regarding Firehouse Subs? I'm looking at the time. I'm really loving this conversation, <laughs> but I want to make sure we talk about the other things you got going on as well. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, it's been a great brand. I've transitioned out. Um, my wife and my sister-in-law actually now run the area rep business, and they run the restaurant day-to-day. 
Um, so after uh, six years of, of being in and scaling and looking at opportunities. Was that always um, your goal to transition out? It was, my goal was always to, to, to scale the business, yes. Okay. Um, so it, that's it something was, we can talk about. I it, think a lot of people get trapped in their businesses. But what I've noticed about you, you've been really good at working on other business or on businesses mm-hmm. from afar and transitioning out to work on the next project. Because while all this is going around, you also are involved in you're, you're the vice president of International Food and Beverage Technology Associations. You also co-host in the, the, this, the, this uh, podcast, the Delivery and Takeout Podcast. Right. You've got a lot of things going on on top of owning how many franchise locations? So we, uh, we own one franchise. And then we had the area rep. So, you, okay. so we scaled that. Yeah. So we create, again, a, as we saw the, the scalability of the brand in the market, um, my sister-in-law came aboard with us. I mean, we are family-owned and operated uh, franchise and, and area rep business. And, and there was wh- where we're at right now for the team that we have, they're a, they're a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, these two women are amazing at what they do. I was just getting in the way, right? I mean, could I run shifts and can I do that? Yeah, but if it's scaled and it's operational, right? My my passion really is, and what I do is bringing people together, mm-hmm. right? Build, scale, and, and and see those fruits of those things come together, and that's why I had transitioned. Um, Rob Grimes at the International Food and Beverage Technology Association called me at the end of the year, and and we put it all in perspective. And he's like, you know, I've got this opportunity. I miss the the environment. That's why I'm so excited to be here at the TRA show. I miss bringing people together because what I see is both sides of the fence. I've had the experiences, and and, and I want to help people build their dream. Yeah, like that's what's satisfying to me. Like when I when I go to bed at night, you know, can I? Make, there's lots of ways to make money out there, right? But what am I really passionate about? Right, my passion is help. Build, people build their dream. So whether it is a franchise, whether it is a supplier working with an operator, whether it is a prospective franchisee, right? I am so excited when I can help people build their dream. Mm. I mean, do I get paid? Yes. I, I mean, I figured out finally how to monetize that, right? I mean, because at the end of the day, I have to provide, I've got two kids, I've got to provide college, I've got to provide all these things. But I love the opportunity to sit down with people and help them with their dream and help them achieve it. Because people help me get to my dreams and continue to build. That Sorry, I cut you short. Did no, I? I no. think I did. Finish your thought. No, no. Okay. You're, you're. That what you just described is the responsibility of every restaurateur. It's not about you. It's about every like your role. I mean, this all depends, I guess, on what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to scale, if you're trying to have multi-locations, it's not about you and your vision. As much as it's about how can I create opportunities for others people that i know and love who are in my organization who want this industry who love this industry they're going to go on and do their own thing everybody wants a sense of autonomy a sense of creation like how can you help them do that and then you invest in that right and like you work you collaborate with them they become your employee then they they evolve into your partner right i think that has been a trend i've seen over and over again i think that's kind of the code is it's just all about making it about others and, and helping them achieve what they want in life. And, and and if you look at the the great successful entrepreneur stories that are out there, especially in the restaurant business, yeah, there I've kind of be I was kind of becoming historian at, at NRA, yeah, because I'd look at all these independents and I'd look at all of, all of the big brands that were on the board, right? And you look at their story and their legacy. Yeah. They just didn't build a restaurant, right? 
they built a restaurant. They may build two restaurants, 10 restaurants. They also invested in X company and they collaborated with this guy in Y company. Yeah. So for, for when I look at these mentors that I have, they had such a portfolio of things that they worked on, but they were old timers. So they didn't have LinkedIn. Yeah. So you don't know what these great icons of the industry did. But I sat at the table because I broke bread with them yep. and they told me their legacy. And they said, yes, did we scale? But if we would have put all of our, our 100% of everything we owned in one thing, the risk would have been way too high. So how do we, how do we diversify ourselves, right? I can't do everything, but can I invest in somebody else, right? No different than people who take shares in the stock market. Mm-hmm. But instead of using the stock market, I invest in human capital, yeah. right? So I invested in this entrepreneur restaurateur, yep. right? If you look at um, a lot of the stories, of, especially in fine dining, you had a tremendous chef, a tremendous front of the house guy, and a tremendous business partner, yeah. right? So it's almost like the three-legged stool. Yeah. yeah, right? They, one of them wasn't all of the facets. I, you know, you're reinforcing something that I say. I, I don't think you can be truly amazing. Well, you can be. You can achieve it. But most people aren't freaks of nature. Unless you're a freak of nature... And you can wear all these hats and do it well and have the bandwidth to manage all that. Um, you cannot be truly great in this industry without partners. I don't think you can do it. No, I can't. I don't think you can do it. You, you, uh, and it depends on what you want, right? But if you want to be truly great and be the best, you, you've gotta, you can't do it alone. Not today. It's too competitive. Oh, 100%. Uh, 100%. There's, yeah. there's so much competition, but there's also there's all these lessons, right? And yeah. There's all these people who've been successful and they have grown. And they're willing to invest in other people because they're not willing to risk the, the gamble in the stock market. Yeah. Um, so real quick, we need to talk about catering. That's yes. kind of like the, not real quick, let's spend a little time. Okay. And then we can talk about your, your latest project, which I know you're really excited about, the, the latest restaurant group or franchise that you're getting involved yes. in. Teaser. We're not going to get into that yet. Um, what is it about catering? What, when did you develop your, your catering chops? So, so catering has always been core to our principle. My wife worked for Marriott and then did food and beverage catering. Um, she had a great, again, foundation with Marriott. Yep. And we, we always read about catering. We deployed catering. My uncle was excellent at catering at, at the independent restaurant. And when we got in the firehouse, we're like, okay, we got to build this catering model. And we tried a lot of different things before we hit success. We read a lot of books. Listen to a lot of podcasts that so we need to build it. What were the best books on catering that you read, aside from your own? I uh, can't disclose that right now because I don't honestly remember okay. the, the best book because there wasn't the best book yeah, on catering. Same reason why this podcast exists right? because it, there wasn't one. There wasn't the catering book, yeah. and that's why we wrote Catering Domination, right? Yeah. The, the book to give because it was always an add-on. This yeah. is the thing about catering that, I, that was so frustrating was it was always an add-on to everybody's business. But I knew good local caterers that all they did was 100% catering with no restaurant. Mm-hmm. So I studied them and I went and spent time with them and I picked their brain and I tried to understand what they were doing and figuring out the base. And, and I looked at it from a sales mentality and I looked at it from uh, a retail to bring your comment back around about retail uh, business, right? Retail builds a foundation and transactions, Right. When you're not fine dining, you need to score transactions. Well, how do you score transactions in larger groups? Because larger groups buying at one time make more money profitably 
than trying to sell a bunch of small things. a bunch of small ones, right? It's units so, of work, right? Yeah. So, so if I do a hundred customers a day who buy who have one transaction, or I can do one transaction as a hundred transactions, yeah, that's exactly why I only have three sponsors. Um, like I, I try to only do three sponsors. Ideally, I try to have th- three sponsors per quarter. Okay, because for me, it's the same amount of money, right? To do three sponsors for for three for three months, and then to split that up and to do do say like. 12 sponsors in, in three months because I have to create ads for all those people. Right. I have to invoice all those people. I have to do all these things or I can do it three times for three different people. Same concept. Like, and, and, and then how do you build the, de- the depth of the relationship? So once you have got the customer, how do you continue to serve them in, in variables and repeat, right? And that's where the service customer, having a great product, obviously. And, and, and with Firehouse, we have a great product. The product stands for itself. Yeah. But how do I service that and build that relationship with my catering customer to get repeat orders? Yeah. Because I'd rather have 10 catering customers than 100 catering customers, right? 10 ordering many times versus 100 ordering one time. Yeah. So we just took that philosophy and we put that together. Yeah. And then what we did was we looked at how do we get the initial customer? So then we, we tried all these things, right, over the course of five years. All, all of these variables, right? And which variables... So there's a lot of A-B testing. Again, fork in the road, left, right, left, right, A-B, A-B, right? Yep. What, which ones work the best? And then we did it for my store. Then we did it for another store. Then we did it for another store. And then finally, it's like, okay, here's the red thread. This is what works, right? Talk to my other friends. Hey, try this in your business. You're, yep. out, you're outside selling sandwich. We figure this out. See if it works for you. You're, you're doing some, yep. some other food type. Yeah. Try that. Let's see if it works. Same, same reaction. This ad, this ad works for this. This is how you do it. This is how it builds. And then once you get them in, service the crap out of it. Yeah. So this is the, the I think this is the reason why this mentality of we're stronger together is so powerful because when you're opening yourself up to other people and sharing what you're doing and getting feedback from them, you're tapping into that energy that you wouldn't have had mm-hmm. access to. You're, you're only so much poten- potential energy by yourself. When you open up to other people and connect your batteries with them, your minds with them, you get access to that energy. And if you repeat that model, like, and then you can just do so much more. In this example, it's about testing concepts and practices to see what works best. But you can only do that so much of that by yourself. Right. But if you share that concept with somebody else to see how they do, that's how like beautiful things start to evolve and, and grow. Well, and and, and the and the supposed to be talking about catering now. I got yeah, well, so Sorry. so you go to the catering. The the byproduct is bringing and delivering the food, right? Yeah. The question is selling, and that's where people forget they have to sell and manage a relationship. Yeah. So now you need software, right? You need you need the content or the marketing collateral. You need if you create the reaction, how do people get a hold of you, right? And then you provide the service, right? So how do you bring all that together? So we try a bunch of different things, right? And we document all the way along. And then we put it in this book called Catering Domination. And, and simultaneously, TJ's doing the same thing in Texas. I'm in Illinois. So f- past five years, we're both doing the same thing independent of each other. Yep. Didn't even know what we were doing. He's doing it for one brand. I'm doing it for another brand. But at the core, we, we, as we got together and started collaborating on the book, we funneled it down to... All right, we were in this parallel universe doing the exact same thing almost at the same time. Like, how weird is the universe? Same outcome, too, probably. You right. Practices, right? Oh, yeah. yeah totally yeah. same outcome, right? And then, and then we're like, okay, how do we do it, build it, 
And people are like, you guys are silly for writing this book. I go, why? The flight's go, a pain in the ass right now. I'm I go, sorry. <laughs> if the adage is nine out of every ten restaurants fail, yeah. how many people are really going to take this book and embrace it? Mm-hmm. Right? And if you take the book and embrace it and you build a successful restaurant... Could you be my neighbor and got the book? Yes. But at the end of the day, what's the core fundamental? You got to still be able to service and deliver the food, right? Exceptionally. Yeah. Right? So I can give you the marketing collateral, but if you don't do those other two pieces, the marketing collateral is worthless. Yeah, you got one order, but you don't get the hundred orders. Yeah. Right? So I'm not worried about the the competition factor. I'm worried about everybody being successful at it and embracing it and understanding that if they can move from two to three percent of their sales of catering and have a 10, 15, 20 percent catering You're shop. doing 35 percent of your total sales through catering. Is yes. that what I heard earlier? 35. 35 percent. Yeah. Some some periods even bigger. So, I mean, we can't... And little teaser, I have, I have an extended invitation to have you back to talk about catering, to do a workshop on catering. I would love to do that with you. But yes. If you could give us a little... like. I mean, I think I think the big takeaway that I'm getting so far is that units of, it's just units of work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big part of, of how to do it is to, to do more with the same amount of work right? or, or to achieve more with the same amount of work. Um, what are, are the other big takeaways when it comes to catering? So, so, so it, it, with the catering, if, if you think about the staff and the model that you have, for example, uh, in my firehouse subs were a sandwich restaurant. Primarily, when's your busy time? Lunchtime. Catering has to be done and out before lunchtime, Right. So if you can sell enough catering, right, you can employ people. When you're employing people, like a lot of restaurants struggle with giving their their folks enough hours to work, right? That's always the variable. I don't get enough at my job. I got to go get a second job. Yeah. Well, what happens if you build enough catering along with your regular walk-in and takeout business that those people can work the maximum amount of hours that they want to work within the construct straight of the hours of which you operate and maybe make overtime and make more money and yeah. have opportunities to create other programs for your staff because at the end of the day you're paying for a restaurant box that is there 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year whether you're open or not at 2 a.m the landlord don't care yeah i mean it's right? pretty straightforward you just want to increase volume of sales to cover the expenses correct of having the people there so it's not like we're breaking the code. Uh, this isn't like this isn't rocket science. I don't think I told you anything, but but if you create the strategy, and here's and here's what restaurant tours do, they create the strategy for the breakfast, lunch, or dinner service, whatever yeah. it is, right? And they dial in that service, yeah. right? They dial in that menu. They got their food costs dialed in exactly where they're at. Why don't Why don't they put that same amount of effort on takeout, delivery, and catering? Yeah. I don't know, man. But so real quick, because I, I did invite you back to, sure. to do the workshop. I appreciate that. And you're welcome to come back. I'd love to go deeper. Yes. Um, give us the framing without all the, the context of exactly how to do all this stuff. Well, what is the framing, the life cycle, the, 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 the process? What does that look like? With like it, as, as 30,000 feet as you can get, because I know I, I don't want to, I want to leave a teaser. Okay, so so you you have to first create a a catering the right catering offering. Got it. Most people don't have the right offering; they're just taking something off the menu, putting it in the group, and saying this is our catering. Mm-hmm. So you got to create the catering offering for the need of the market that you're serving. So that's that's number one. Okay. So once you figure that out, then you can go back and say how long is what's the time, what is the packaging that I need to complement that. 
And then once you have that figured out, because you're going to have the costing. Like, we're not going to tease on food costs and stuff. You, we're, we're expecting that you already understand that. Okay. And then you can back into what is the sales and marketing collateral to go along with it. And, and, and we've got a great CRM that we work with that actually helps um, streamline it. It helps create a funnel, and it actually helps do everything from sales is to production SaaS? reports. Is this service as a software you're talking yep. about? What is that? Is it your personal? No, I don't. I, I, and I have no financial stake in it. Yeah. I've just been a customer. Um, we use a program called CaterZen. Okay. Caters what? CaterZen. CaterZen. Yeah. Um, the, the gentleman who created it was a former restaurateur. Are they here? No, they're not here. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a terrific service that is ideal, especially for the independent. That's who it's built for. Okay, got it. Um, so from the top, determine your offering. What time and What's your time and packaging? Uh, what are the sales and marketing collaterals? Uh, having some customer relationship management tool in place to, to keep the relationship alive, right. to remarket, essentially. Yep. And what else? So, I mean, those, those, are, those are pretty much the, the foundation of it. And, it. and we'll get into it because here's... But it's a loop because like, it ends with the CRM and then the, it, start, the, it starts back over again by it, keeping the, the conversation. Yeah, I mean, it, it's actually a circle. And when, when I first teach catering and, and I go to a restaurant tour says they want to do catering, so I, I ask them the, the first question. So, Eric, who are your top 10 catering customers? I don't know. Oh well, I think it's the car dealer, and it's a, I, how much they spend last year, how much they spend last quarter. When was the last time you ordered from them? They have no data. Yeah, and in twenty twenty one, shame on you because yeah. getting and acquiring and having your own data is is table stakes right now. Yeah. Um. So one one question I had just to make sure I'm, I'm making I want to make sure I understand fully when you say offering that's your first step. What yep. is your offering? What's what's time and packaging? What do you mean by what's the time and packaging? So so you have to look at what your your prep schedule is. Yeah. And, and how long it takes to prep, and if you're hot or cold. So you so you the time it to not only do it. But how long do you have from the time it's ready to get it to delivered? Because you have to think about how does that impact your business, yeah, right? And, and how many catering offerings can you sell based on the amount of delivery drivers that you have? And then how does the food transport from point A to point B, yeah. right? No longer is everything just going in, in steam table pans and showed up because yeah. we've gotten advanced. Just a little yeah. bit. I want to go deeper on this in the future. I just yeah. want to kind of paint that that upper level uh, yep. picture for folks who are like, "Oh, I'm interested in this. I want to learn more." Yep. We will have more in the future. Uh, so, can we give a little teaser? You got a new a new project going so, on. So, so I, I am uh, super excited that I've joined a uh, new brand out of Las Vegas called Big Chicken. Yep. Um, I'm uh, starting with them as the senior vice president of development. Um, we're getting ready to go into franchising and growth mode. And uh, Big Chicken was started by Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, so I'm super excited to be working with Shaq and the team uh, that they're assembling to help grow the best uh, fast casual chicken brand in the country. So when this brand explodes mm-hmm. in five years. And you you have, heard it here first. You have uh, locations across the country and a great, a great franchise growing. You're going to help me get Shaq on the show, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. We hundred percent. You heard it here first. We 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 will get. We will dial Shaq in and Mike have a conversation. Enough, I might not be able to get it up there. To his, we'll, we'll figure something out, right? Awesome, dude. Um, so what is it about this brand? After all this experience you've garnered and understanding the industry, all these relationships, 
what is it about what he's doing in this concept that has you most excited? Why should we, why if we're listening to this right now, we're interested in franchising. So, so if you've, if you've watched Shaquille's restaurant career, yeah, he has been a franchisee of several brands, yeah. uh, five guys, Papa John's and uh, Krispy Kreme. I think he should probably, he should probably, he's probably qualified to come on the show now. I d- definitely. Yeah. Right. So he has done some amazing things being a franchisee. Yeah. In five guys is an incredible franchise, by the way. Uh, I, I've talked to a lot of people that have come out of that franchise to learn about franchising and then to do their own thing. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, not at all. And in 17, you know, his team of folks, he wanted to develop his own concept and, with Big Chicken, he is working with directly with the chef and the and the partners on developing the menu. He's been there since the ground day one. Matter of fact, there was a uh, Facebook TV show created on the opening of the restaurant. They actually built the restaurant in four weeks. Yeah, and they documented it. Um, the sourcing with the chefs. They flew around the country, figured out the menu, and, and took all of these great elements and put them together. And, and, and provide the best chicken sandwich that you and biggest chicken sandwich that you will ever eat. And he's proud to put his name and reputation on it. And it's it's fantastic. The food is craveable, not just because I, I am involved in it, but prior to being involved in it, the food the food's incredible. There's two locations, one yep. in Las Vegas, and it's not on the Strip, and one in Glendale, California. And, and what they designed because the the, the the chefs with Shaquille are passionate. And they're excellent at their craft, and yep. together they collaborated, and they and they built a, a focused, fast, casual menu on, on having great ingredients and served really well. Yeah. So you may come because of Shaquille, but you're coming back because the food's that great. So what is it about the way that this business is being organized that you know it's going to be successful? So so they went and and, and hired a terrific CEO. Yeah. Um. Longtime industry friend of mine. Um, again, they're investing in people. They're bringing in the right people, and they're bringing in folks who are of entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. Um, to to build this company, to, in in a vision that hasn't been done before. So, what's, what's unique about the vision? So, the vision is to is to have a, a a legacy with Shaquille. Right. This is one of one of his legacy projects, and to build a a restaurant group. That is forward thinking. That will take risks. That will look at things um, from the light of, you know, if if I was on my own, how would I do that? And and we sit at our, our leadership table, and we can we can challenge and we can look at things differently because of the way we're structured, and say, what are all these things that if I was the leader, how would I do it? And go try it. Yeah, and and they're empowering. So again, going back to, to to we've got great food. I mean, our food, our sourcing, it's fantastic. Now it's all about the people, and they and they've brought the team that I'm on. I am so excited to be on. We have great conversations, strategic development. Nothing. There's no sacred cows. Everything is out. Even with the chefs, nothing is off the table. If we want to talk about the sauce. We better be able to talk about sauce to to the chef level. Yeah. So if we don't like it or we want to change it or modify it, we got to be at that level. But we, you know, I got to sit in the catering conversation and say, "Look, guys, we got to really move the needle on this." And they're like, "Great, teach us." You're, it's it's all a team. We all we all win or lose together, 
and, and it's it's just like a basketball team, just like what we were saying up earlier about just opening your mind to those other channels, those other that, that, that potential energy, and tapping into the collective, yes. and understanding the collective, the mastermind, right? Hundred percent, yeah. Um, what about the menu? Like, what is it about like the, the your offering that you know? As far as it seems like you're gonna, the thing I'm curious about is like you, it sounds like you're doing one thing really well. You're going to focus on doing one thing really well, which has been a really big lesson learned here. Is that going to be your approach as far as the menu? Yeah. Like- I mean, our, our, our menu is is fried chicken sandwich. Yeah. We have a grilled option. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, fries, waffle fries. Um, our fry has got a seasoning on it that nobody in the industry has ever created. Yeah. I can't tell you what the secret sauce is, yeah. but I will tell you it is craveable. Like yeah. I'm, and this is I'm, for the fries? For the fries. Okay. I, I'm sitting here thinking about the fry because we get a different cut fry with a different seasoning that we yeah. created right on it that makes it super craveable. We've got a couple salads and then our mac and cheese. It's called Lucille's and it is the same way that Shaquille's mom, Lucille, made her mac and cheese with the cheese topping. We've got a jalapeno. It's a great name for a mom, by the way. That's my mom's name. Is it really? Yeah, wow. So when I talk so, to Shaq, we'll have that in common. I'm gonna, I'll let him know. <laughs> uh, we've got a jalapeno slaw and a potato yeah. salad. That's it. And then our milkshakes are incredible. Um, the flavor profile um, that we have had created for us, um, just on a soft serve, you need no topping. Yeah. Um, but then the shakes that we've, we've built are all named after, all have Shaq's nicknames. Okay. The other thing that we've added to our fast casual is we've got a full bar. So as folks have always talked about doing beverage service, we're not doing boozy milkshakes. We're doing looking at that other dinner day part yeah. for a fast casual that are bringing people in as well. Interesting. So we're, we're not mandating the bar in our franchise system, but we're giving our franchisees no, sure. opportunities. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I'm, what I'm looking for is unique selling propositions. When I'm asking, like, what is it going to be? So the unique selling propositions, obviously, is you got the 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 brand, the 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 celebrity behind it, which is you can't ignore that. No, right? not at all. He's a celebrity. He's loved. There's not yes. many people that say I hate Shaquille O'Neal. He's a jerk. You know, no, like, he's, he's just got a great brand. Yeah. And you can. The other thing is big sandwiches, huge, huge five, five ounce chicken breast. You have the the secret sauce that's unique to your brand. Yep. Uh, so you the shack sauce and you and you just and I think just focusing on doing those things really well is enough to separate yourself from others. And then oh. you have the the option of the, the the smoothies and stuff like that too. So not smoothies, shakes, shakes. Sorry, thank yeah, you. Yeah, we're, we're we're not going health option on that. We are we are going we are going That's full right. full shakes. <laughs> um, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> we are going full full shakes on the on this deal and soft serve ice cream. So we've got the the dessert component. And you are not going to leave hungry. So think about it. And then we have tenders. Yeah. But think about a five-ounce chicken breast. When most places you're getting two and a half to three ounces, you're getting five. Yeah. And, and when Shaquille comes into the restaurant, he eats three of them at a time. Yeah. Dude, I, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> I've loved this conversation. Is there anything we have not discussed up to this point that you're hoping to get out before we move to the speed round? You know, it's been great. We, we've talked about so many different things that I, that I hope I've shared something that's hel- so much. helping a listener walk away today and, and think about their business just in You've a different great, way. Man. You've been great. Uh, so Restaurant Unstoppable's mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry by making an example and sharing the storage and knowledge and mentorship of folks like you. But how have you transformed? Who are you today, the man you are today versus the man you were when you first got into the food and beverage industry? Oh, I've grown, I've grown leaps and bounds. How? It, it, it's through the experience, right? I, I would have never been able to, if I'm looking back at myself graduating college and what I wanted to do, 
I, I would have I, I had blinders on. I literally had blinders on because I thought the only thing I was ever going to do was work for MI, mm. right? I never thought I'd be sitting at the Texas Restaurant Association talking to Eric and talking about being a mentor, what my career has gone, and it's gone in so many different directions. And why? It's because of the community. Yeah. And it's because of the industry has allowed me to embrace it and evolve and, and, and appreciate me for my skills in my creativity. Yeah, I love that. Awesome stuff. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work, let's be honest. Not to mention, it's time-consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing, and managing your operations, and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month 
Plus, you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? My wife. What is your biggest weakness? My ADD. How you overcome that? Because I have huge ADD too. Uh, I I have a unorthodox uh, note journal that I prioritize all my projects in, and it's uh, erasable, and that's how I do it. Dude, I am so happy that you said that because I literally reading Atomic Habits right now, and one of the habits I want to commit to, uh, working out, then I do my meditation, and then I go straight to journaling, and then I go straight to professional writing. And the, the habits that I'm really focused on is the, the, the journaling and the professional writing to get things onto paper to start prioritizing what's most important to me. Yes. And it, it, in the, the two weeks I've started doing this, I've already felt the results. It's powerful. Get the rocket book. It, it has erasable pens, but you can take a picture of the notebook, which then goes in, in syncs with whatever software services nice. you're using. And then you can erase it. You can mark it up. And it helps with the ADD because you can draw, <laughs> take a picture, and then erase it. So uh, you don't you don't have thousands of pages that you can never find. Yeah. But because you can put them in your phone, so you're sitting on an airplane, you're traveling. Yeah. You can look this stuff up and work on it. Yeah. And what's the name of that tool again? Rocketbook. Rocketbook. Thank you. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? An interview. What are you asking for? What does service mean to you? What is your biggest challenge today? Getting the right people. How are you overcoming it? The community. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. A way to be, a way to act. Treat everybody like family. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So something that's common within the four walls of your business to go above and beyond for the guests, but not common throughout the industry. I think one thing that we always want to do is unexpectedly delight somebody. Mm. So whether that is uh, buy a, a regular or a first-time customer or meal, but do something unexpected. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Get out be- from behind the counter and spend time with your customers and ask them open-ended questions. Name one service you've hired or outsourced. Not so much a technology, but a group of people or a person that does something better than you could ever do on your own. Uh, great question. The first one, I think, would be CaterZen. CaterZen. Because it wasn't just the software, but it was the service that they provided behind it, talking about uh, mentorship and catering. Okay. Beautiful. Uh, the next question is a technology question. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your restaurant walls that's had a huge impact on uh, communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? You cannot say caterers in again. We created a private Facebook uh, Facebook group for, for the restaurant. Um, and because of the type of staff that we have, being a younger staff who are on their smartphones, uh, we use that as a communication vehicle, not only for schedule, we post guest reviews, polls, um, and use that as our communication push. Yeah. Because 
They're already well, there in less resistance. They're, they're, are, they're already on there. Yeah. And, and then we, we have the ability to track the fact that people have seen it because when you're an administrator mm-hmm. on the group, you know who's seen what. Uh, how, is there a feature you need to like turn that on or to access that? If you're the ad, no, if you're the admin of a private group page, it's already there. Beautiful. So you can see where, where, where it says seen by and you can click on that and you can see if everybody's seen it or not. Dude, at some point this week while we're here in the same space, I would love to do a short video with you where you just hook your phone up to my Mac and we do a screen share and you show us how to, to like what that looks like. Are you willing to do that? I mean, I can add this. Yeah, we can take a look. Okay, cool. Um, I think that'd be fun to like hook up the mics and just talk through the yeah. process of, of doing that, what that looks like. Uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your working, your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? My three pieces of wisdom? Yeah. Be passionate about what you do. One. Spend time with those you love. Two. And the third one is my legacy is what you see from my family left behind. I've it, loved this conversation. Sorry, go ahead. It, I if, if I did the right things as a parent and a father and a husband and a son, you will see that within my family. And, and that picture paints the volume of who I was. I love that, man. I've loved this conversation, Samuel. This has been a lot of fun. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who do you respect and admire in the restaurant industry and believe would make a great guest on the show? Uh, call them out. You know, I, 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 I've, had, I've had the pleasure and opportunity to know Rob Grimes, who is the uh, CEO of the International Food and Beverage Technology Association for a number of years. Um, he actually started his career in Marriott Food and Beverage oh, as really? well. Didn't know that until like last week. Um, it's the fraternity you said, or you yeah, called it something. Though. Yeah, the the world's largest fraternity, yeah. I think. And um, what I've learned uh, working at IFBTA, and and for an older gentleman to be so tech forward, and and really thinking about because he came from being an operator to being a technologist hearing him and, and we were talking last night looking at these this robot technology he's like i called that eight years ago i saw it i knew it was coming i did a video on it i'm like we gotta see this like let's go find this video um so i would say uh, he'd be a great guest because he really bridges both coming out of the food and beverage world but then applying technology and looking at all these technologies over spectrums mm. I would love to tap into that. And I really, I mean, I, I know the value of technology. I'm not a nerd when it comes to like geeking out on that stuff. Right. So I would love to, to broaden my, my network into people who really devote their entire life into this. So Rob, look out, I'm coming after you. Then obviously Shaq, you're always welcome on the show. If you ever want to come on, uh, and how can we connect with you? Uh, if we loved what you share with us today, we want more from you. You got a book dimension. You got a podcast dimension. What are the best ways to connect? So the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm available for connections on LinkedIn. You can listen to, if you like what you're hearing to say, we won't be as long. We're about 35 to 40 minutes. <laughs> it's a takeout, delivery, and catering show found wherever you find your great podcasts. And then our book is Catering Domination uh, that TJ and I wrote. It is available on Amazon today. Um, if you go to social, uh, check out Chicago underscore Sam at Instagram or Twitter. Um, my persona, I'm born and raised in Chicago. That's home, right? Uh, that's who I am. So back in the early days of Twitter, when people were trying to figure out what their Twitter handles were, 
I, I, I'd be at different events and people like, oh, you're that guy from Chicago, aren't you? Because I always talk about Chicago and Chicago restaurants. So I just embrace the Chicago Sam social personality. Yeah. And I'm not sure what episode number this is, but make sure you just like listen to the the beginning of this episode. I'll be sure to mention the episode number and then the episode number will be right in the title of the episode too. Just go to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is and I'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any links to tools, services, or books recommended. We never asked you what your favorite book was. I didn't ask you that, did I? Oh, my favorite? No, you didn't. So what is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? One book uh, to make yourself a better better restaurant uh, tour. Uh, John Taffer's Don't Bullshit Yourself. Oh, he has another book, too, Raising the Bar, right? Yep. I, I've read the first one. I didn't know about the second one. Yeah, so 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 his books are great. I mean, they, they really bring you back into perspective because a lot of times you get in, into these ruts. Yeah. I would I would also say uh, Donald Burns. Yeah. Huge those, fan. <laughs> huge fan. He stopped by earlier today. Yep. You know, your restaurant sucks and your restaurant still sucks. You got one. I got one. We got yeah. this little manual here. Great, that is gr- great books. Outstanding uh, mindset. Uh, I'm a huge, a huge fan of those. And then... The one that I always enjoyed reading, and, and probably one of the few books, uh, uh, fictional books that that I'll talk about, is uh, "Don't Stop the Carnival." I love it. Awesome um, about a guy in the '40s who decides to move to an island to open a hotel. Interesting. So, got to have some great imagination, right? Yeah, man. I've loved this conversation. And if you guys are into books, um, we're starting a book club in Restaurant Unstoppable Network where the mission of the book club isn't to read a bunch of books. It's for me to go back and to read the books I've been reading over the past eight years and to really dissect them and implement the lessons into my life. We're going to do one book a quarter. So, that's awesome. interesting. To you guys, you want to be a part of that, come hang out on Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Just head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com. And thank you for joining us in advance. And thank you, Sam, for joining me today. There is no question, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate being here. Cheers. Cheers. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys all found value. I know I did. Special thanks again to our guest today, Samuel Stanovich, for coming on and opening up and sharing just a ton of great knowledge. And I'm really looking forward to developing this relationship with Sam and hopefully diving into some more uh, catering content and collaborating on some maybe workshops, who knows, maybe even some courses in the future. Lots of cool things happening over at Restaurant Unstoppable. Network. And on that note, uh, this week in the network, actually today, as this episode goes live, if you guys are early risers, you still have plenty of time to join us this morning in the network with Stephanie Robson. So Stephanie Robson was a professor. She's now retired, recently retired professor over at Cornell's School for Hotel Administration, where she specifically focused on restaurant design and uh, strategy. And she is joining us in the network to handle the topic of business planning. So originally I had reached out to Jim Laub and Joe Erickson over at restaurantowner.com and I was going to hope that they could take us through their template for their, their business plan template that they host over at restaurantowner.com and they said, why don't you go reach out to Stephanie Robson? She's who we went to to make sure that we were you know, providing the best possible business plan template and She's actually going to now take us through the business plan template. We're actually breaking this workshop into three pieces. It's going to be who you're writing your business plan for, uh, capital budgeting, and developing your pro forma. So that's going to be spread over... three Mondays, this Monday, next Monday, and the following Monday. And uh, if you guys are not in the network yet, you can join us live for these workshops. 
head over to restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com. Join the network and be a part of these conversations. And if, if 30 bucks a month is too much for you, and I know, I mean, I was there not that long ago where it was too much for me. I mean, just reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'll get you a 30 day trial so you can get into the network and not miss these three uh, workshops. Um, super valuable stuff. And actually, I think we actually, we should be getting Samuel Stanovich in the network as well to do a peer mentoring session. So if you're interested in connecting directly with him to reflect on this episode and get some coaching, stay tuned for when that peer mentoring session will be. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long until next time peace out